just a reminder to share, like, and subscribe to the show wherever you are listening to it. And please, give it a five-star rating as it helps the show to beat the big tech algorithms. Also, if you love the Red Pill Patriot Show, please consider becoming a patron subscriber for as little as $5 a month. With that, you'll have early access to each weekly episode and exclusive content, including access to the Daily Dose videos and many other perks and benefits. Just visit the show's Facebook page by searching for Red Pill Patriot Show and click on the blue Shop Now button to see all the options for supporting us. And remember, support what you love or it goes away. Thanks, everyone. After this, there is no turning back. You take the blue pill. The story ends. You wake up in your bed and believe whatever you want to believe. You take the red pill. You stay in Wonderland. And I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. Remember, all I'm offering is the truth. Nothing more. Oh my gosh, America, what a week we have had. This is nuts. I can't think of a uh, more crazy time in my life than what just transpired this week. Welcome to the Red Pill Patriot Show. I am Dr. Matt, your host, and I can tell you that there is so much going on. It is nuts. But before we get into that, I have to make a couple comments about just some of the events of this past week. First of all, Sunday, Super Bowl, okay, great game, and uh, actually, I will say this, there were some decent commercials, which has shocked me because that has not been the case recently. After Sunday, we moved to Monday, which was the historical Iowa caucus for the Democratic Party. We'll talk more about that in a second. Next up, Tuesday, the State of the Union Address. I'll give you my run down there and uh, let you know what I thought. And then the day after that, we had the Senate uh, trial hearing vote, whatever you want to call it, with regards to impeachment of President Trump. If your head was not spinning this week, I know mine surely was. But today, I want to have every American citizen who loves our great nation to tune in and pay attention because what I'm going to share with you uh, today is something that you need to understand, and it's very important. It's going to show how we as a nation, we the people, are going to use the Constitution to save the Constitution in 2020. Yes, indeed, all this and so much more on today's episode of the Red Pill Patriot Show. <laughs> Thank you guys once again for coming back. I love getting together with you weekly and just kind of going through some very important things. And this week, super, super, super important topic. And I'll introduce that here shortly. But I do want to follow up on my introduction there and just kind of talk about a couple things in a little more detail. First of all, that Super Bowl. Okay, I already mentioned it was a good game. But for me, I've never been a huge NFL guy. Okay, just never been something I'm really passionate about. Some people are, and that's great, but the game was good. More importantly for me, I have always wanted to watch the game because it seems like they had the best commercials, the most creative, the most entertaining, um, and honestly, I'll say over the past decade, it seems like to me, they've really lost their way. They've dropped the ball in a big way, and, and they seem to be more political, more pushing an agenda. Um, but this last week, they actually got back to being funny and entertaining. And I will tell you that my top three commercials from that, if you haven't watched them, hit up YouTube after the show today. You can check them all out, find out what they were all about. But I would say that my number three favorite commercial was the Alexa commercial with Ellen DeGeneres. Very funny. If uh, I won't even try and summarize it for you. But uh, other than the fact that, I guess, uh, Ellen asked the question, what do people do before Alexa? Okay, so check that one out. Number two was uh, Jeep's commercial with Bill Murray. And if you are old enough to remember the movie Groundhog Day, it has something to do with that. Again, very, very funny, really creative, really good. And the number one commercial, in my opinion, 
was the, I believe it was the Reese's Take Five uh, commercial for their candy bar, the Reese's Take Five. Absolutely hilarious, very funny, well worth going out and checking it out. So those are my top three. Um, I would love to hear back from you guys. What was your favorite commercial during the Super Bowl? You can actually send that to me via email at redpillpatriot.fan at fastmail.com. Again, that's redpillpatriot.fan at fastmail.com or commenting on any of the social media links that I list at the end of the show. Up next, the Iowa caucus. Caucus. The Iowa caucus. Oh my gosh. What a giant that was. Holy cow. All I can say is that the DNC and the left, if you guys can't count freaking votes in a caucus and get the results out in a timely manner, how are we as Americans supposed to have any faith, any trust in giving you control over the country? I mean, this was just one little caucus, and they couldn't get it right. Apparently, they had an app that they developed, which now has come out, that was riddled with ways to hack it, to change it. I mean, come on. This is going to be the party that's going to help transform America? I mean, holy cow, America's doing really, really good under President Trump right now. But this is what they're showing us, is that this is how they're going to fix it. I mean, after three days, it was a three-day delay in having the votes reported. And the Iowa Democratic Party declared at the end of those three days, people, that Pete Buttigieg had narrowly won the state delegate equivalent count that a majority of news organizations use to determine the winner. Now, due to potential errors in the reported vote total and due to the Democratic National Committee suggesting a re-canvas of the results, Many of the major news organizations refused to declare a winner until that possible re-canvassing, though, I should mention, none of the campaigns actually were requesting um, to have that done. When it was all said and done, after those three long days, they did come out saying that Sanders won the popular vote in both the initial and the final alignments, but it wasn't by much, maybe a percent, a percent and a half, I don't know, but it was a very, very close race between Bernie Sanders and Pete Buttigieg. Which leads me to say this, it is becoming very clear to me, and I think to a lot of Americans, that the Democratic National Committee does not want Bernie Sanders as the nominee. And I believe, personally, you're going to see more and more of this kind of thing happening as Bernie gains momentum in certain areas. Now, I don't don't think he's going to be the nominee across the board. I could be wrong. I don't think there's enough Americans that believe in socialism, democratic socialism, whatever you want to call it. Um, But in certain primaries, in certain areas, there are some people and and his followers, even though they don't see his hypocrisy in how he lives his life versus the rhetoric he spews, um, they are, they are passionate and, and determined. So we'll see what happens, but mark my words, I think the, the DNC and all its corruption is going to do everything it can to put the kibosh on Bernie winning the nomination for the Democrats. All right, now let's turn gears to the third topic that I introduced, which is the state of the union. And I will say this as clearly as I can. In my opinion, that was one of the best state of the union speeches I have ever listened to. It was completely on point. It was very factual, no matter what the mainstream media is saying, and it was very patriotic. From everything I've researched, the statistics that the president outlined were true, so you can't argue that. He recognized, he awarded, and gave thanks to several American patriots and heroes during the speech as well. If anyone, honestly, was willing to listen, and or watch, I should say, objectively to that speech, they most likely came away with a greater sense of excitement for the future, a true appreciation for what we have accomplished as a nation over the last three years, and a very increased sense of pride for being an American. Now, as for the Democrats, they were in rare childish form, and I believe it has everything to do with the simple fact that after three years, they're still very much sore losers. They cannot let go of the fact that Hillary lost and that they're not in control of the White House. They are so consumed by hate. I mean, visceral, palpable hate. They hate the president that no matter what he or his administration does, they will not acknowledge, they will not give him a win, period. It is the most prolific 
uh, case, I guess, I've seen of what, you know, we used to jokingly call Trump derangement syndrome, but they have it, and it is in full display during the entire State of the Union, and I think it was capped off at the end there by Nancy Pelosi's second-grade response to tearing up the president's speech. How incredibly childish was that? It was rude. It was offensive from the House Speaker who talks about inclusion and all this virtue-singling crap that she puts out there. And here she stands up and tears up his speech. That was horrible and disrespectful, more so than offensive. I don't care if you're offended by it, but it was just disrespectful, plain and simple. And, you know, going into this, especially after seeing that behavior, I wish I had the ability to hop on Amazon and order a baby pacifier for every single Democrat that was in the house that night because the vast majority of them were simply acting like babies, throwing a temper tantrum, and there's no other way to argue it. So lastly, okay, last thing I want to do is just real quickly give my two cents on what happened on, let's see, this would be uh, Wednesday, which is the acquittal of President Trump in the Senate. And again, it does not matter what any Democrat says. The president was acquitted, meaning he was not found guilty of any of the charges, bogus as they were, the bogus articles of impeachment. Look, when it's all said and done, there are many people within America who simply don't like President Trump. And that is fine. Every American is entitled to their opinion of the president and his administration. I personally did not care at all for President Obama. For eight years, I was, you know, forced to acknowledge that President Obama was my president. And I respected the office. Maybe not respected him as a person, but I respected him as the holder of the office of the president. Now, no one on the right, I don't care who they were, during the eight years under Obama's term, did not behave like the Democrats have behaved for the past three years. Their antics, their tactics, everything they have done has been horrible, okay? And if anyone that is a conservative or more right-leaning than, than whatever they are had behaved or acted like they did, we would have been labeled, canceled, shut down, shut up, called every derogatory and horrible name in the book and there would have been nothing you can do about it but again that's not how how i've seen conservatives behave the simple truth of the matter is that nothing that the president has done or did amounted to bribery treason or high crimes and misdemeanors and those are the only impeachable offenses laid out in the Constitution. Notice it says high crimes and misdemeanors, not any crime, okay? I'm not saying President Trump is pure as the freshly fallen snow. He's not. He's a fallible human being. But he did not do anything that would rise to the level of impeachment, period, okay? And I'm sorry if you disagree with that, but that is the truth. Now, if you don't like the president, if you think he's a mean, horrible, disgusting, dirty man, that's, again, you're right. And what you can do is you can exercise your right to vote in 2020. Vote for whoever you want that is on the ticket. That's absolutely fine. Or do a write-in. I don't care. But exercise your right to vote. That is how our republic functions. I will tell you, though, I honestly believe the Democrats, the, everything they've been doing, the Mueller report, the Russian hoax, the, the impeachment, everything they're doing has really backfired on them, and they are inadvertently moving in a direction that will ensure President Trump gets reelected and serves another four years. They are so out of touch with middle America and, and the majority of people in this country. They have absolutely no clue about what average Americans want. I mean, it, it's just, it's, it's absolutely ridiculous to look at how they act. All right, guys. Well, that is enough of recapping the events of the week. I had to just get that out of my system real quickly. After the break, I am going to get into the meat of this episode and share with you all how we the people have a plan and a path to take back control from the Washington elite in Congress and the judiciary. The question is, 
do we have the courage to do what it takes? And now a word from a non-sponsor of the show. Let's take a listen to this wonderful ad. America, one nation under God, a land of opportunity and freedom, the birthplace of Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi, and the nation she bravely represented as she signed the Articles of Impeachment of Donald J. Trump. To properly mark this momentous occasion, Nancy Pelosi signed her name proudly with these unique and beautiful black and gold pens, emblazoned with her signature. Now, you can own a piece of history. Remember the impeachment proceeding and the life's work of our first female Speaker of the House with these collector's edition <laughs> near-perfect replica pens. Each pen features the same black and gold style of the original with only minor differences, barely recognizable to the naked eye. These breathtaking writing instruments communicate the utmost in class and distinction and will make sure everyone knows what side of history you stand on. To honor the accomplishments of Speaker Pelosi, we've priced these special commemorative pens with the year of her birth, 1940. <laughs> Think of the national elections you'll be able to overturn with your Nancy Pelosi commemorative impeachment pen. Available exclusively at NancyPelosiSucksPen.com. <laughs> this priceless work of art will remind you of Speaker Pelosi's constantly surprised facial expressions mm. and babbling nonsensical speaking style. Plus, it will forever communicate your lasting feelings towards this true American hero. Due to the incredible demand, there is a strict limit of 5,000 pens per order, <laughs> and no future Nancy Pelosi Sucks commemorative impeachment pens will be sold when demand has been exhausted. So act now. These incredible pens are authorized by Stu Does America, loved by patriotic Americans all over the globe, and can be yours now for just $19.40. How will you tell your children and grandchildren about this important era of American history? Do it with NancyPelosiSucksPen.com. <laughs> I just love that commercial. And yes, I didn't produce it. I didn't make it. It is done by Stuber Gear over on the Blaze Network. And he has a new show launching this week, guys. November, I'm sorry, uh, February 10th. Not November, gosh, February 10th. Stu Does America. Um, I know that you can watch it on YouTube if you want to. But I will say that that is actually a real ad. You can go to your favorite web browser, type in nancypelosisuckspen.com, and actually order one. So if you are as big of a fan of Nancy Pelosi as I am, I would encourage you to order your pen today. And now, let's get back to the show. Before we get into the next section of the show, I uh, have something special I want to do. And what that is, is I want to start a new segment. And I really hope that this will become a regular part of each episode moving forward. And what that is, is I'd like to call it the Red Pill Patriot Patron Subscriber Shout Out. And on this first installment of the shout out, I want to take a moment to say thank you to Mr. Eric Boyd. Eric is the latest patron subscriber to support the show, and I want to publicly thank him for doing so. Eric, it is because of fans like you that I am able to continue to create episodes of the show and make them better and better each and every week. So thank you very much again to Eric Boyd. He is truly a patriot. And if you would like to get your very own shout-out in an upcoming episode of the Red Pill Patriot Show, head over to our website at redpillpatriot.podbean.com and click on the green Become a Patron button in the upper right-hand corner where you'll get all the details on how you can support the Red Pill Patriot Show. All right, guys. So, what's next? Well... Let's move on here, and hopefully, by now, if you have listened to any additional episodes of the show, you have a pretty strong understanding that I am what I consider a very staunch American patriot who loves our country and is constantly seeking for truth. 
One of my biggest frustrations, though, is, honestly, the very bloated and out-of-control federal government. And I think many, many, many Americans share that sentiment. What we have in Washington today was not at all what our founders had in mind when they drafted the Bill of Rights and the Constitution. However, years of men and women seeking their own self-interest over the needs of their constituents, who graciously elected them in the first place, has left us with a Congress and a judiciary that on countless occasions has overreached what they should be doing. Funny thing that you may not know, but the original Constitution is no longer what Washington uses to kind of uh, establish precedent and and move things forward. They don't refer to the Constitution. They actually have what they now call the 3,000-page uh, Constitution, uh, lovingly. And there's a video on YouTube you can check out about it. Um, but basically, every judicial ruling that the Supreme Court has ever made has been bound, and it's bound every year or so. And it has a ton of blank pages in the back for future renderings of decisions so rather than referencing the original Constitution, um, they're referencing their own works, which to me doesn't seem right. Now, the primary reason I feel most Americans have lost faith in the government and do not feel as if they are being heard or listened to, and more importantly, why they choose to not get involved via exercising their constitutional right to vote, is because of the overpowerment, overpowering government. They don't, they don't trust the government. I mean, we see it all the time. We hear it all the time. How many people do you talk to that say, I don't vote or I don't get involved in politics because I don't, I don't trust what's going on in DC. Well, while I was scouring the university of YouTube online this week, I found an opinion piece from the New York times that, uh, honestly, as I listened to it, had some really solid points However, I will say that even though it has some good points, there are a few things I don't agree with. But what I'd like to do is play that for you right now. And uh, we'll go ahead and cue that up and get that going right now. Americans are very contradictory creatures. We admire the founding fathers with an almost cult-like devotion, and yet huge numbers of us don't participate in the representative democracy they pioneered. We have one of the lowest voter turnout rates in the developed world, ranking 26th out of 32 countries. If Didn't Vote had been a candidate in the 2016 election, it would have won by a landslide. In fact, Didn't Vote would have won every single presidential election in the last 100 years. In 2016, only about 56% of eligible voters cast a ballot. So what happened to the more than 100 million people who didn't vote? Recent surveys and studies show that among many factors, there are three major reasons why people don't vote. Reason number one, they believe voting doesn't make a difference. Among non-voters, especially young ones, this is the number one reason for staying home on election day. According to recent surveys, roughly two-thirds of non-voters say they don't pay much attention to politics because it is so corrupt. Only 22% of voters believe the two-party system does a good job of representing the will of the American people. This becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. People refuse to participate, which reduces their representation in government, which adds to their sense that they are not being represented which then reinforces their lack of participation. Reason number two, the system discourages participation. The most accurate predictor of whether someone will vote or not isn't race, ethnicity, age, or gender. It's their level of education and income. As a rule, wealthy college-educated people vote at much higher rates than low-income and educated individuals. The result is that low-income communities have a harder time getting fair representation at every level of government. Again, it's a vicious circle. People don't vote, they lose representation, and so they become the solution and continue to stay away from the polls. And this doesn't include deliberate efforts by lawmakers across the country, more often Republicans, to lower turnout among low-income populations and minorities, who tend to vote for Democrats. This leads to a perfect storm of disenfranchisement. Gerrymandered districts, restrictive voter ID laws, and lack of access to early voting are all examples of efforts to lower voter turnout among specific groups of people. Reason number three, voters are confused. Because each state has its own registration deadlines, voter ID requirements, and early voting schedules, Many potential voters simply don't know what's required of them to be able to vote. This lack of uniformity hits younger voters particularly hard. Their lives are typically more transient because of college and work, so they are less likely to feel connected to local politics. 
when you add in their lack of enthusiasm for politics in general, the result is extremely low youth voter turnout. Even though the millennial population is almost as big as the baby boomer population, in the 2014 midterm elections, only 16% of eligible voters aged 18 to 29 went to the polls. So what's the solution? The heart of the problem is that people don't trust our political system. Unfortunately, this is a long-term problem that we're going to be working on for decades. In the meantime, we can learn from other developed democracies that have found easy and common sense ways to boost voter turnout. Automatic voter registration and early voting access have already increased voter turnout in several states. And in other countries, shorter election cycles, online voting, and weakened elections have all resulted in higher voter turnout. Don't forget that in a democracy, the people have the power to change the system. Voting is the ultimate expression of that power. So please, go out and vote, and let's make the Founding Fathers proud. Now, that piece was an opinion piece by someone from the New York Times. And while, like I said, there were several points that I found very good, um, definitely do not agree with uh, some of the things that he said. So uh, I do want to point out that, you know, like you said in that piece, many Americans believe that voting doesn't make a difference. And this is the number one reason they don't come out. He, he did share a statistic that, um, I can't remember which, I think he said it was the 2016 election. He said that two-thirds of non-voters say they don't pay attention to politics because it is so corrupt. Well, if you missed last week's episode of the show, um, I encourage you to go back and listen to it because it was all about corruption in Washington, D.C. So he's 100% on point there. Politics is corrupt and the people are sick and tired of it. They, they And then he also went on to say he, he believes the system discourages participation. Now, at this point, I, I really disagree. See, most people truly don't take the time to educate themselves about candidates and issues. And that is mainly why they don't participate in voting. And I should point out that I wholeheartedly 100% disagree with the author when he talks about how, quote, deliberate efforts made by lawmakers across the country, more often Republicans, to lower turnout among uh, low-income populations, including minorities who tend to vote for Democrats. <clears throat> I completely disagree with that, okay? What every American should want, regardless of socioeconomic standing or ethnicity, is a fair and honest election. And that is why conservatives desire fair and just voter ID laws. I'm just going to hop on this for a second here. I can't begin to tell you the list of the plethora of things that we in America are not allowed to do without first presenting some form of identification in order to engage in or gain access to all kinds of places and activities. Voter ID laws are not about keeping people away from voting. It is all about ensuring an honest and fair election process, one in which grandma and grandpa who have passed away aren't coming back from the grave to cast their vote for the Democratic candidate if you catch my drift. I won't get into it here and now, but who knows? Maybe that would make a good, a good episode to explore more fully as we get closer to the general election in November. And lastly, he, he mentions that voters are confused, and I will admit, it takes some thought and action on an individual's part to make sure they are registered to vote. And without a desire to vote, there isn't much motivation to figure out what is required to make sure someone can vote. So, looking at those three things that he outlined, I wanted to see if that holds up. Um, and so, there's another clip here I'm going to share with you of just a couple young adults expressing their thoughts on why young people in particular choose not to vote. I'm kind of not voting because I don't really guess I keep up with the, like what's going on with the government and it's kind of sad that I don't do that, but I'm really busy. Um, I am voting. I feel like it's very important for me to go out and vote just so I can get my voice known. A lot of my peers don't vote uh, because uh, I want to say they don't think it really matters. Um, and I think they don't have enough incentive and enough motivation to go vote because they, they're not seeing any. Um, changes in their neighborhoods. I guess I don't pay attention to it due to like the negativity that everybody has to say about it and all like the opinions out there and just I don't know I guess I just don't want to be really a part of that. It's just like all the slandering they're doing to each other I don't like that it's just like one minute something good about the person and it's just like all these bad things so it's just like all over the place you don't know what 
to believe or who to believe? I did not set. I did not sign the thing in time to get the form, so I did not. This. I just feel like our age group is a lot less political than um, older people. Um, I. I don't know why. I think it's just a lot more difficult for people to actually care about it, which is like kind of bad, but. <laughs> I'm voting, and I think one of the main reasons that um, students my age struggle to vote is um, we've moved around a lot. So I've moved three times in the last four years between my undergrad to my master's to my PhD. Every time you move, you have to re-register to vote. So I'm registered to vote, but actually my husband isn't because we weren't able to get all the paperwork together in time to make the voting deadline. I already voted. Well, it's something important that everybody or every young adult should be doing. It's our future. So you can see there, at least in that clip, that uh, with the people that were interviewed, a lot of the points that were brought up did indeed manifest with at least this small, small subset of people that were asked about voting. But my question is, if people don't trust the government, what can be done? You know, we talk about, you know, voting as consequences, and if you don't like someone, you can vote them out. But that, again, requires people to actually register and, and go out and vote, and that also requires them to hopefully educate themselves on who their elected officials are. And uh, you'll find out here that... <laughs> Many people that are actually voting are younger than their representatives and have no clue who they are. Now, we I think we all can agree upon the fact that we can't leave this up to Congress. You know, they're not going to pass any laws that would reduce or limit their massive amount of power that they have accumulated over the years. So how can we, the people, ever hope to take control back from those that are representing us in Washington and, and send, you know, and make this message aware to them that they understand that, uh, that they work for us. You know, we need to get the message to them that when we send them to Washington, that they represent us. And it's not about becoming, you know, rich for themselves, enriching themselves and their families and becoming career politicians. Well, you know, the answer to that question is simply this. Article 5 of the Constitution, if you know that, the Constitution, that's where we get the answer to what can be done. And after the break, that is where we are going to head. We have all seen it before. Maybe it's even happened to you. You tweet out something that's on your mind and... That's right. The Twitter overlords have placed you in Twitter jail. So much for free speech, right? Well, wrong. There is an alternative and a better platform. I invite you to take a look at Parler.com. Parler was founded in 2018 and is based in Henderson, Nevada. Good old American company. After being exhausted with a lack of transparency in big tech, ideological suppression, and privacy abuse, the co-founders decided to create an alternative solution. Parler provides a commenting and social news platform for digital publishers, influencers, bloggers, writers, politicians, and social users to share news, opinions, and content in real time. Additionally, they provide enterprise tools to enhance online blogs, media, and websites with direct social integrations and monetization capabilities. Parler's goal is to offer the world a platform that protects users' rights, supports publishers, and builds communities. They are not regulators, they are not governors, they simply are a community. I cannot recommend Parler high enough as the best free speech social media platform out there for everyone. It's time to take back control from Twitter and speak your mind. You can find and download the app in either the Apple App Store or on Google Play or on any major web browser. Go to Parler.com. Once you've downloaded it to your phone, be sure to set up your account. And lastly, make sure you find me by searching for at Red Pill Patriot Show. So before the break, I shared with you how I feel we are currently facing an out-of-control federal government, and because of that, many people have lost faith in the government and are not voting. This in turn has resulted in the worst villain of all, in my opinion, and that is the career politician. I want to take, down, take a moment and break down some numbers for you so you know kind of what's going on in Congress, because most people don't have a clue 
about who's in Congress, who's representing them, how long they've been there. But as I prepped the show, I went through and looked at every single member in the Senate and in the House of Representatives. And I broke it down into a couple categories, and I'm going to share those with you here. So at the the bottom, the entry level, I guess you would say, these are people that have been in office for six years or less. Currently, this group includes a total of 228 men and women between the House and the Senate. And I, for one, feel that this is the right amount of time for anyone to serve in the federal government before returning to the private sector and working there as far as Congress goes and you know, maybe in the judiciary. But currently, and you may know this, but there is absolutely no limit to how long an individual can hold office in either the Senate or the House, unlike the president, who is limited to two four-year terms, as most people know. Now, why... Why do you guys think that the president is limited to two four-year terms, but the other branches there in Congress, the Senate and the House, can be in there as long as they like? That doesn't seem right to me. Now, we already talked about the those that are six years or less. Of the remaining members of Congress currently... There are over 200, I'm sorry, it's not over, there's 201 members who have been in office between 7 and 16 years. There are another 76 members who have been in office between 17 and 26 years. There are 23 members, guys, who have been in office between 27 and 36 years. And lastly, rounding out the top of the list, there are 8 members who have been in office for 37 or more years. That means that there are some people serving Americans who have been in Congress longer than I have been alive. That's crazy. How out of touch do you think those people are with your average middle American people? Hmm? They have no clue. Now, I will tell you that once someone makes it to Congress in Washington, they really have a pretty good thing going. And as I looked into this, I can tell you, I, I can understand why many of them don't ever want to leave. You know, check out, check out this information, okay? Now, do you know off the top of your head what the average compensation is for most senators and representatives in, in Congress? I'll tell you that the average senator or a member of the House gets a salary of $174,000 per year. Now, this does exclude the Speaker of the House, whose salary is $223,500. That means that Nancy Pelosi is getting almost a quarter million dollars to act like a child and to throw temper tantrums. That just floored me when I saw that. Additionally, the president pro temper of the Senate and the majority of minority leaders who bring home um, they bring home about one hundred ninety three thousand dollars annually. Now, compare what those people make to the average American. I looked it up in the two thousand eighteen uh, U.S. Census Bureau, which is the most recent data that we have. They said that the median household income for American citizens is sixty three thousand one hundred seventy nine dollars. Now that's, again, that's, that's the median. It's not bad income, but how hard do you work to make that money? And here are these people in Washington that are pulling in minimum $174,000 per year. And it's not just their salaries, guys. I'm going to show you some of the things that they get in addition to that. And I'll tell you, it's, it's crazy. It's absolutely crazy. So let's let me talk about some of the perks they get. Okay, first, first of all, this is the, and this is kind of crazy. There's ten things I think here I'm going to list for you. First, tax deductions. May not know this, but members of Congress procure a bonus tax deduction each year for living expenses while away from their home states and congressional districts. This extra three thousand dollar deduction is something that only lawmakers are privy to. But believe it or not, it's one of the cheapest congressional perks members of Congress enjoy. Next, they have access to a state-of-the-art, very free on-site gymnasium. Forget that the, you know, you and I probably spend, what, an average of $60 a month on a gym membership? They don't. House and Senate members enjoy access to an on-site gym for free. 
anyone that is what you would call a fitness junkie are treated to an exclusive gym equipped with flat screen TVs, a heated pool, a sauna, and steam room. They have paddleball and basketball courts. And it's all paid for, you guessed it, at the taxpayer's expense. Members of Congress can save thousands per year on membership fees with this one benefit over the course of a 20- or 30-year term. Now, next, so they get the tax the tax benefits, the free gym membership. Oh, and by the way, they get a very, very, very nice plush office. In fact, a seat in Congress comes with prime office space. Members make themselves at home in the office on Capitol Hill while also maintaining space in their home districts. The Congressional Research Service says every senator gets at least $40,000, maybe more, to furnish their home state offices. And it's a never-ending shopping spree on the taxpayer's dime, as there's, quote, no restriction, end quote, on the number of offices they can open within federal buildings. So they have really nice offices also paid for by the taxpayers, guys. Now, this next one, this is something I think we would all really love to have, but it's reserved for members of Congress, and they get some serious paid time off. Currently, the congressional calendar varies from year to year, but each year includes sessions on the docket as well as time allocated to work outside Congress. Sometimes this time is spent conducting business within their home state, and other times it means vacation. Members of Congress get the entire month of August and two weeks around Easter off. Of course, the congressional docket can be changed, and they have been known um, to work weekend hours, albeit on very, very rare occasions. The official calendar showed Congress was in session for just 145 days in 2017, and in 2018 was slated for even less. Can you imagine that, guys? Only having to work 145 days a year. You know, this means that the nation's representatives, the people that we send to Washington, are awarded more than 220 vacation days in one year. How many vacation days do you guys get each year? I know it's just a couple. It's nowhere near that kind of time off, but Congress, they get it. What about health care? That's always a hot topic with people talking about health care, and in fact, the House and Senate leaders spent countless hours debating health care on the company dime with hardly anything to show for it. You remember that. And it's still an ongoing topic. But members of Congress have no personal need to fix the system with the congressional perks they receive regarding health care. Now, before you get too upset, health care isn't free for them, but they do receive federal subsidi- subsidi- subsidies, sorry, covering 72% of the cost of the premiums in an Obamacare gold-level plan. According to one fact-checking website, members, quote, pay approximately 28% of their annual health care premiums through pre-tax payroll deductions, end quote. In addition, they receive low-cost care through the Office of the Attending Physician and free outpatient care at military facilities in and around Washington, D.C., so they get a sweet gig when it comes to health care that not all of us enjoy. I mean, 72% subsidy. And who pays Who pays for that subsidy? Oh, wait, taxpayers do. Yep, that's right. Well, what about what happens when they eventually do retire and get to that point where they leave? Well, for many Americans, you and I, um, the 401k acts as a substitute for a pension. But Congress members, guess what? They have access to both. Five years of service is all that's needed for members of Congress to become eligible for a pension. CNN Money reported that John Boehner, former Speaker of the House, was entitled to roughly $85,000 in annual pension benefits upon retiring in 2014 after 24 years in service. Those who served just five years are guaranteed annual pensions of at least $14,000. Now, $14,000 is not enough to really live on, but it sure makes things a little bit easier, and that's just after five years of service. Member contributions are matched up to 5% via 401k-style thrift savings plan, and we we can't possibly forget Social Security. They are required to contribute and thus eligible to collect upon retirement. Next up on the perks list here, Free parking. One of the most coveted congressional perks is 
free airport parking separate from public garages. Yep, you guessed it. Members of Congress pay $0 to park at Ronald Reagan Washington National Airport and Dulles International Airport. Forget the per-day rate commoners pay. That pay is better served elsewhere for lawmakers. The records that I looked at show congressional use of the free parking benefit cost taxpayers more than $132,000 in 2015. What about death benefits? We know everyone dies. Well, would you believe it if I told you that the death benefits that these guys get is better than the military's? In fact, should a member of Congress be killed while serving their term, the surviving family members are entitled to death benefits equivalent to one year's salary, a minimum of $174,000. This was the case for the widow of New Jersey Senator Frank Lautenberg, who was who, when he passed away in 2013. By comparison, family members of the armed forces killed in the line of duty are only privy to a gratuity payment of $100,000. Who's more important? Our military or the Congress? I mean, again, and I don't want you to think I don't respect Congress, but let's be honest. They're giving way too much here, okay? But we're not done yet. They get what we call fun money. In addition to a lofty salary, members of Congress enjoy access to the Members' Representation, Representational Allowance, or MRA, used to maintain their offices and build a, uh, build a legislative team. House representatives took more than $944,671 from the piggy bank to fund salaries for 18 permanent employees. In 2016, they took another 250000 that was spent on another costly congressional perk known as, quote, franking. This term is used for mass mailings sent out by Congress courtesy of the taxpayer. We're paying their postage, guys. <laughs> the subsequent fund money available to senators is much bigger and depends on the size of the state they represent. This allowance varies from around $2.4 million for a senator representing a state with a population under $5 million, to more than $3.8 million for a state with 28 million people or more. That's a lot of cash to be spent on sending out mailers that more than likely end up in about 99% of our trash cans, guys. But yet, they get it. They get to spend this money that we pay in taxes. And we don't have anything to say about it. Lastly, one of the perks that is probably the most coveted is flying for free. Yep, uh, one of the, the most expensive congressional perks is travel. No, not every flight is free, but most flights between their home states and Washington, D.C. are funded with taxpayer money. USA Today reports Congress spent at least $14.7 million on taxpayer-funded trips in fiscal year 2016. Even more unique is that lawmakers can haphazardly book themselves on multiple flights without dual charges thanks to their sometimes demanding schedules. So, <laughs> I'm not going to recap those here, but those 10 perks plus at least a minimum of $174,000 a year salary, and no wonder these guys and gals want to stay in office. It's no wonder that they have absolutely no desire to ever leave Washington. Not to mention the countless self-enrichment schemes that they've been using for years to personally and uh, enrich themselves as well as their family members, which I did touch on that uh, in last week's episode. You know, I, did, I had to. I had to do this, and it made me sick when I saw this. But do you know that if someone, and we know they're there, has been in office for 37 years, and if you take a salary of $174,000 a year times 37 years, that comes out to $6.4 million that that person will be paid or has been paid. How many Americans working five days a week, eight, eight nine hours a day, will walk away with $6.4 million after 37 years? Unless you're really good at investing and living on a very small amount of money, um, that ain't going to happen. The most, most Americans don't have that. Most Americans, for crying out loud, are living paycheck to paycheck. But again, not Congress. So I tell you this 
because you need to understand what's going on in Washington. You need to know what's happened. Now, again, I go back to that question I asked you earlier. What are we to do? What are we supposed to do? Now, I did mention that there is an answer, and lo and behold, like I mentioned, it's found within the Constitution. What I want to do is I want to play for you a little clip here that talks about how the states can save America. The federal government has become a lumbering giant. With each passing year, it gets bigger and scarier. In 1965, Washington was $761 billion big. In 2016, it was three and a half trillion, five times the size. If the government spent only the money it collected in taxes, that would be one thing. But it always spends more, which is why we're $20 trillion in debt. That's 13 zeros, count them, 13. But the crazy spending isn't even the worst of it. Washington is involved in every part of our lives. Think about anything you do, from driving your car to buying your groceries, to mowing your lawn. Whatever it is, your education, your job, your health, the government has its hands on your shoulder, if not on your throat. As a congressman and senator for 14 years, I know this only too well. So how do we cut this giant down to size? Is it even possible? Yes. And the amazing thing is the answer is right in front of us. The founding fathers in their wisdom foresaw the situation we find ourselves in today. They wrote into the Constitution a way to repair Washington, not from the inside, because that will never happen, but from the outside, where it might. It's right there in Article 5. Most people are familiar with the first part. The Congress, whenever two-thirds of both houses shall deem it necessary, shall propose amendments to this Constitution. All 27 amendments we have now started this way. Congress proposed them, and at least three-quarters of the states ratified them. But is this the only way to amend the Constitution? Well, let's read the next clause. It says that Congress, on the application of the legislatures of two-thirds of the several states, shall call a convention for proposing amendments. Did you catch that? Congress must call a convention to amend the Constitution if two-thirds of the states, that's 34 states, demand it. The time has come to demand it. The time has come to propose amendments that will restore meaningful limits on federal power and authority. The time has come for a convention of states. Here's how it would work. Once the 34 states call a convention, all 50 states send a delegate to represent their interest. For any constitutional amendments proposed, each state gets one vote and an amendment only passes out of the convention and to the states for ratification if a majority of the state's delegates vote in the affirmative. In this scenario, Congress has no say. It is completely in the hands of the states, which means it's a whole lot closer to the hands of the people. We've never once amended the Constitution this way, but that doesn't mean we can't. But you might ask, doesn't this open the door to rewriting the entire Constitution? Antonin Scalia, the late Supreme Court Justice, acknowledged this risk, but regarded it as a minimal and reasonable one. Why? Because to be ratified, a proposed amendment would need the approval of 38 states. That's a high bar. 38 states would never agree to something radical like abolishing freedom of speech. The founders, Scalia said, knew the Congress would be unwilling to give attention to many issues the people are concerned with particularly those involving restrictions on the federal government's own power. So they provided the Convention of States as a remedy. This should not be a partisan, left-right, Democrat-Republican issue. This should be a who-controls-your-life issue. You or the government. Today, politicians can turn your life upside down on a whim. Kind of like King George in 1775. Being at the mercy of distant, disconnected rulers was why the American Revolution was fought in the first place. But we don't need a revolution. We have Article 5. So what amendments might a convention of states propose to limit Washington's power? Term limits, for one. And no one should be in Congress for 20 or 30 years. The only people who disagree have been in Congress for 20 or 30 years. 
And how about a limit on taxes, spending, and borrowing? Since you began this video, the national debt has gone up $8.4 million. Here's one more idea. A constitutional amendment that Congress can't exempt itself from the laws it passes. Something it's done dozens of times, from insider trading to Obamacare. Now, I don't believe a convention of states will solve all of America's problems, but the founders put it in the Constitution for a reason. They knew a time would come when Washington would become so big and so intrusive that only we, the people, could cut it down to size. That time is now. I'm Jim DeMint for Prager University. Isn't that interesting, guys? You know, it, 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 the founders were just brilliant. In 2020, as we all know, there's an election coming up. And right now, a huge swath of the country is crying for change. You know, they're Bernie supporters, Sanders, or Elizabeth Warren supporters. And these, quote, democratic, because when I, when I say socialism or socialist, they, I get yelled at by people, not that I really care, but these socialists are talking about revolution. It's time for a revolution. No, we don't need a revolution with violence and guns and, and things of those nature. No, no, the, the, the founders knew. They knew that at some point there was a large chance that the federal government would be out of control. And we are here now. They're out of control. Tyrannical, if you want to call it that. Well, the good news is, guys, that there's actually a national movement, and it's called the Convention of States. And it's actually seeking to enact Article 5 on our behalf. Now, I want to play for you a brief clip that you know talks about a little bit about this and what the three issues are they are looking to address and hopefully amend the Constitution with. Article 5 of the United States Constitution gives we the people the power to put the federal government back in its constitutional box and expand liberty for all. Once two-thirds of the states pass similar applications, a convention of states will be called and there is nothing the federal government can do to stop it. This isn't a red movement or a blue movement. It's an American movement based on one fundamental question. Who decides? Who should decide the issues that affect your community? Washington, D.C. or you? The Convention of States Action Resolution applies for an Article 5 convention that would propose constitutional reforms limited to three topics. First, fiscal restraints on the federal government. With over $140 trillion in unfunded liabilities, we need a balanced budget. But our resolution also allows for caps on federal spending and taxation. The second topic is limiting the power and jurisdiction of the federal government. The Supreme Court has authorized the feds to have control over almost every aspect of our lives. The COS Action Resolution empowers us to restore the Constitution to its original intent and return power to the states and the people. Finally, term limits. Thanks to a corrupt ruling class in Washington, trust in the federal government is at an all-time low. That's why our resolution gives Convention of States Commissioners the power to send the career politicians packing, including the judiciary and other federal officials. So what can you do? First of all, sign the petition at cosaction.com and get as many of your friends and family to do the same. With your full address, your state legislators will know that you really are their constituents in their district. Call, email, or request a meeting with your state legislators to ask them to co-sponsor the COS resolution in their state. Get plugged in with your local Convention of States team so you can stay engaged, educate others, and respond to national calls to action. Our success depends on you. So we're inviting you to be part of history. Let's invoke the constitutional solution that's as big as the problem. How awesome is that? Talk about taking back control as citizens from the abusive and tyrannical federal government. With a convention of states, we could amend the Constitution to enact fiscal restraints on the federal government. How many Americans do you know that are fed up with Congress's runaway spending and constantly driving up the deficit? We hear it year after year after year. You know, the government's going to shut down if we can't raise the, raise the debt ceiling, yada, yada, yada. We don't get to do that in our own lives. We have to be responsible and live within a budget. 
So why on earth should our elected leaders be able to do the, to do what they want, you know, and and just spend, 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 and enslave our children, grandchildren, great grandchildren with a horrible debt? They shouldn't. They need to be reined in, guys. We could also restrain federal power, and this would allow us to restore power back to the people and remove the oppressive boot that the federal government places on our lives in every aspect. And sadly, there are people that think more government control will help fix this. And oh my gosh, it drives me crazy when I hear that. But no, we need less government in our lives. Lastly, they're talking about enacting term limits on these career politicians. If you listened to last week's episode and you've come with me this far, hopefully you see we have got to get term limits in and get these people out of Washington. It's just plain common sense. And I think anyone with common sense, with a brain, would not be opposed to getting the political elites out of Washington. They need to be replaced. Guys, I love, I love the Constitution. It is a brilliant document. Now, just so you know, currently the resolution that that they were talking about in that clip, it's passed in 15 states already. It has passed. It is there. We've got 15 states. Now, it's an act of legislation in another 12 states as of 2019 and has passed at least one chamber of the state legislature in another seven states. Remember, We only need 34 states to pass the resolution and force Congress to call a convention of states. They can't stop it. This is amazing. We're almost halfway there. And all we need is to get the message out. More people, just like you and me, people, patriotic citizens who are sick and tired of being ignored and told that we only matter when those in Washington are up for re-election. It is time, guys. It is time for us to take back power that originally belonged to the citizens. Now is the time to stand up and tell Washington and their elite that they work for us and not the other way around. Now is the time to do our civic duty. Now is the time for a convention of states. Listen. I want you to do just a few things as we come to the close of this episode, all right? Simple things. First, I want you to go to conventionofstates.com and do your due diligence. Don't just take my word for it. Go there, and I want you to learn all about Article 5, the Convention of States, and how you can get involved. And once you're on the website, please, if you agree with what you read and what you find out, Please sign the petition to let your state legislators know that you support the Convention of States movement. And secondly, please share this episode with everyone you know. Do it on all your social media. Talk to your friends, your family, your co-workers. There are millions of Americans who would join in with us on this if they only knew that it was an option. And you can be that voice. You can be the American patriot who lets them know that there is hope and that together we can restore our great country. As always, I really appreciate you tuning in and ask that you subscribe to the podcast if you like what I'm doing. Please share it with others you know and be sure to give it a five-star rating. And if you'd like to get in touch with me or leave comments about the show, I'm on all the major social media platforms. You can reach us at redpillpatriot.fan at fastmail.com. On Facebook, it's the Red Pill Patriot Show. On Twitter, it's at Red Pill Patriot, and that's R, the number 3D, Pill Patriot. We do have an Instagram channel, and that's the Red Pill Patriot Show. On Minds.com, at Red Pill Patriot. And lastly, on Parlor, you can reach me at Red Pill Patriot Show. As I get ready to wrap things up, I want you to remember that truth is only common sense clarified. Until next time, America. On a landscape lawn with a 30-year fixed A pretty little wife laying out by the pool A Mercedes-Benz and a couple of kids in a fancy private school A six-figure hobby 
with a 401k Paints a pretty scene on the silver screen But that stuff just takes for me My American dream is a bottle of beam Turned up when the sun goes down Kid rock and cold on the stereo Bunch of rowdy friends getting loud Talk about the Riverside girls looking fine In tank tops and cut off jeans You can keep your fancy fantasy And I'll keep living my American dream Tops and cut off jeans Keep your high 